streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Today on the podcast, let's talk some Illinois football. Let's reset. We've had a couple days to digest, you know, flush maybe a little bit of the Indiana loss. Uh, I don't know if you can flush that one completely because it's just so disappointing that you had a chance to win a Big Ten road game and you only have yourself to blame. Uh, Indiana made some plays, right? And, and But you did such a good job of limiting them throughout the game. You did such a good job of moving the ball against them, yet made so many st- mistakes that led to a loss that should have been a win. Yet, you have a chance uh, to feel better about it if you learn from it and turn it into finding a way to, to be victorious at home against Virginia. So while the fan base, understandably, not going to be as pumped about this one, I imagine that will reflect itself in the attendance. Illinois is favored in this game. I'm a little surprised at that, uh, given that Brennan Armstrong and Virginia uh, have a pretty explosive offense. I do think there is some sense to it, given that Illinois is number one home. Uh, but Virginia's weaknesses uh, are in the trenches, are stopping the run and running the football. Uh, and they showed that a little bit uh, against Richmond in their week one win, uh, 34-17. Uh, but Illinois is a four-and-a-half-point favorite here. But Virginia obviously had a very explosive passing attack with Brennan Armstrong uh, and a great group of wide receivers, basically the same group you saw last year, minus that big tight end, Jelani Woods, who's now in the NFL. But a brand-new offensive line for them. And, of course, a brand-new head coach after Brock Mendenhall resigns we get to learn more about them the virginia cavaliers from jackie franchuli who covers virginia for wahoos 24 7 of course part of the 24 7 sports podcast network and then joey wagner joins me and we break down reasons for optimism that remain because there's been some good things on this field uh so far for illinois football through two games obviously obviously seen some of them defensively and the offense is moving the ball better. We get into some of those reasons to still have optimism about this team through just two games, but also obviously some reasons for concern, especially against that uh, after that Indiana game. So Joey Wagner and I both break that down uh, and get into it here on the podcast. But coming up next, let's get to know more about Virginia football from Jackie Franchuli of Wahoos 24-7. Happy to have on the Illini Enquirer podcast to help us preview Virginia, a team Illinois familiar with, but a new look team. It's Jackie Franchuli who covers Virginia uh, for 24-7 sports at Wahoos 24-7. Jackie, thanks for joining us and, and just start us off by, wow, a lot of changes for a team that we saw last year as like world beaters. Um, but uh, take us through all the change <laughs> that happened in the offseason for them. Yeah, who would have thought one year later Bronco Mendenhall would not be on the sidelines when these two teams face off each other? I know I didn't think he would be gone. I think no one did. Um, yeah, that was the obviously the big change where we have a new head coach at Virginia, uh, Tony Elliott, take over the reins. Now there are some familiar assistants on the sidelines with Clint Symptoms, Marquise Higgins, and also Coach 2J, the offensive line coach. So those staff members are still the same. And there's still a lot of the same personnel. So Illinois is facing... A lot of the same team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Apart from the O-line, you're facing Brennan Armstrong. You're facing Dontavian Wicks. You're facing Keaton Thompson. You're facing um, a lot of the same offensive playmakers like Billy Kemp. So you're seeing some of the same personnel on the offensive side of the ball. 
except the O-line. That's the big, big change. None of these guys who are playing on the O-line started in last year's team. A lot of those starters are either competing for jobs in the NFL or they're at other schools like Olu is currently at Michigan. So they had a lot of guys transfer out. They had no starters on the O-line. So this is a brand new offensive line. So this is where we're going to focus in on how UVA can progress through the schedule is how well this O-line can do. The other change is with a new staff, you have new schemes. So the offense is going to look a little different too for Virginia. You're still going to have Brendan Armstrong doing Brendan Armstrong things, but he's also going to stay under center a little bit more. You're also going to see more of a run game for Virginia. So those those are the big differences on that side of the ball. And then defensively, when you bring a guy from Air Force Law called Coach Radzinski, you're going to have more discipline on the defensive side of the ball, which they lacked last season. So you're going to see a little bit more fundamental, fundamentally sound football. They're not quite there. It's only the second game of the season, but they're better at tackling, which is all UVA fans are, are grateful and thanking everyone possible that they're a better at tackling team. So those are the big differences just right off the bat of what you expect if you're Illinois watching this Virginia last week Jackie we were trying to figure out what can we take from Illinois beating Wyoming who I don't think is very good this year which is different for them but um, it was hard to extrapolate much right so what what do you feel like you can take from them beating Richmond uh, an FCS team 34 to 17 Well, when you look at that, you can see that the O-line actually looked like they were gelling. Now, I'm not saying that they're fantastic, they're technically sound, that was not it. Mm -hmm. But you saw an offensive line that showed that they had some sort of experience and an offensive line that kept Brennan Armstrong somewhat safe. Now, he still was hit, but a lot of that is when you look back on film, it was actually some back-end issues. Maybe the running back went a little bit too quick and got off his block a little too quickly. So you're seeing that sort of communication issue. So when you look at a game against Richmond, offensively, you see the same weapons available for Brennan. You see that there is potential of a run game with Paris Jones, who's a very talented running back, a former walk-on who earned a scholarship over the last year. But you also saw some issues, some communication issues on the offensive side of the ball. That's, that's one of the concerns is, again, they're still assimilating to the new offense, and there were some timing issues between Brennan and his wide receivers. The other thing that when you're looking at this offense is you're trying to see what's the future of this run game because right now it looks like Paris Jones is more productive, is a more productive back. Who's going to be their number two? Last week, we saw Mike Collins come in number two, but he wasn't consistent enough. And actually, if you look at his pro football focus score on pass protection, he only got a 14.1. So he didn't have a great game on that side. So he wasn't an all-around good running back in that game. So Ronnie Walker and Cody Brown are two running backs not available for UVA last week that is available this week. So how does that change their running game approach? The other thing, defensively, we saw secondary that's much more sound. Now, when Coach Rudd's defense is very different, they actually play five DBs in the back with three safeties. That's very different than when UVA played last year. Now, what I like about that is in the first half, we noticed that UVA struggled against the run again. But that was Josh Ahern was out for the first half because he had a targeting call at the end of the last season. So he had to not play for the first which is – I didn't know that was possible, but you learn something new every day with the NCAA and Mm -hmm. ACC and all that stuff. But anyway, so he didn't play in the first half, but then he played in the second half. And what I like about this scheme for him is his, he's not great at pass protection going to coverage. Um, But 
he's really good at stopping the run and going up and going into um and going into his gaps so that was his strength and because he has an extra safety behind him in coverage he can do that which is why they were so much better at stopping the run in the second half compared to the first because he was playing so we saw a really good combination of josh ahern and nick jackson who illinois fans should remember from last year but the what uva is still struggling is in the pass rush now, to be fair, Richmond played that quick up-tempo offense, which they struggled with last season, and it seems they're still struggling a little bit now. But they didn't get that push that they need. That's something that they're going to have to do against Illinois, especially with how physical Illinois and most Big Ten, Big Ten teams are. So that's what we learned on the defensive side of the ball, is that they need more push up front, but it looks like the secondary and the problems that they had last year seems more sound. And they're a better tackling team. Actually, Tony Elliott jokes, like, I was actually pleasantly surprised at how good we tackled because I saw them during scrimmage. So apparently they had a good jump between their last scrimmage and their first game. So those are the biggest talking points for UVA after the game. But as you know, it's against a lesser opponent. So you're kind of weighing, like, they're not world beaters, but they're not as awful as you think. So you're just trying to kind of keep that balance. Yeah. Well, Jackie, Brennan Armstrong, a lot of fans um, think of probably as a Heisman candidate, given what he did to them last year, what, 405 yards, five touchdowns. Saw him kind of do his uh, running thing last week, the 64-yard touchdown. But, if, of course, he's really talented, a lefty. Uh, Brett Bielma has mentioned that's, that's hard to simulate when you don't have lefty throwers uh, in practice. Uh, but also, he's got a talented group of wide receivers. I think Katon Thompson's breakout was against Illinois last year. He had a great right. game. Uh, and we know Wicks and, and Kemp have put up big numbers. What makes that crew so good altogether? Well, they're playmakers that that's what it is is they will get up and get get you the ball which is what they didn't do against richmond actually Dontavious wicks had a fumble during that game which is very unlike him and very uncharacteristic i can't say uncharacteristics i can't say it let's just ignore that one so they he just couldn't hold on to the ball and he fumbled it there was a lot of drops in that wide receiver room um which isn't common for them so, but when you see this wide receivers, when they're firing on all cylinders, when Brendan's able to throw them the ball, is that Dontaven Wicks, I mean, there's a t-shirt made of this. He gets you the catch, those impossible one-handed catches in the end zone. He's that athlete that can do that. Lavelle Davis, who Illinois fans did not see last year because he was hurt. He's back. He had a touchdown against Richmond. He had a breakout freshman year before he was hurt. He's one to watch. He's very, very, very talented. Those are the guys that can do the impossible catches where Brennan can look, see potential, throw the ball, maybe a little high, maybe a little bit behind, but they will make the play to catch it. When you have that weakened defensive line or an inexperienced defensive line and Brennan might not have enough time to throw, you need those wide receivers to make those catches. That's why whenever we had preseason talk, I always thought, yes, the O-line is weak, but if Brennan just has a smidge of time to find those wide receivers, they can make the play. You always, if you have those skill makers, you can hide the weaknesses in the O-line enough where you can give it time to gel. So that's what this wide receiver group can give you. Well, defensively, I would imagine it, it's about, uh, you know, put, shutting down Chase Brown, right? Uh, Chase Brown yeah. has been one of the best backs in the country so far this year, but really during the last year and a half after the Virginia game. Uh, but also th- this defense has changed a lot. I mean, after that Virginia game, Illinois' defensive coordinator changed their scheme a little bit, changed personnel a lot. Um, so, so what were Tony? What was Tony Elliott's kind of keys to 
to defeating Illinois, which is certainly a different team offensively and defensively than they saw last year, um, that, that Virginia players saw last year in Charlottesville. Yeah, so he actually talked, he had a lot of great things to say about Illinois during his press conference. He said that Illinois is going to be a motivated team. Not only did they lose a close one, but they want retribution for what happened in Charlottesville last season. And one thing that Tony Elliott was saying is they need to be physical in the trenches. He says this game is going to be won in the trenches. The D-line needs to use their hands well. They need to push up front. They need to control the run. They need to stop. They, they know they need to stop the run and force Illinois to throw the ball. They know this. They need to have, you know, they, they need to put pressure on the quarterback, which they did not do against Richmond. They understand the side of the game plan. While on the offensive side of the ball, they know that Illinois likes to control the clock. So their offense has to do the same thing. They need to establish the run so they can stay on the field as much as possible so they can help out their defense when they're against the run so they don't get gassed or tired and also lose when it's this close of a game because I think Virginia, and I, I saw your prediction, and if you saw my prediction, I think everyone thinks it's going to be a close matchup. So holding on to the ball is going to be crucial for both of these teams and also play sound and hold on to the ball. Virginia had two turnovers and one fumble recovery against Richmond. They can't afford any of those type of mistakes when you're dealing with a close game. So those are kind of the keys to the game for Virginia. And, and they know it's going to be a physical matchup. It's going to be a true test to see how far along that O-line has come. And honestly, to see how deep this D-line is. Through the preseason, we kept thinking that this D-line would be the strongest position depth-wise. They didn't show it that against Richmond. So this is going to be a true test to see if they can be the strongest unit on that defense. Well, Jackie, last one for you. I mean, Tony Elliott kind of was always mentioned as, you know, could be a head coaching candidate. Well, Virginia gets him after Bronco Mendenhall surprisingly uh, resigned. So what has been his stamp on the program so far, just I, I guess uh, overall-wise? And then what does this game mean for him and his program in the first year here? Well, Tony Elliott, since he's arrived, he wants to build what he calls a model program. He wants to build a program that not only produces good football programs, championship program, but he also wants to talk about producing championship men. So his his thought process is he's, he's kind of going into that UVA mindset of academics and trying to push that kind of uh, not be, and I don't want to say be Stanford-like because the, the Stanford has its own thing, but I mean, that's sort of the message is trying to kind of push that academic side of it as well as saying like, hey, we can have good football. There's going to be new facilities that has just broken ground, uh, pushing that. He's really pushing nutrition, kind of changing the culture within the program. He's uh, he's a very analytical guy. He really thinks to things through. He's an engineering degree, so his mind is kind of going step by step and really analyzing everything. So when their new facilities was being built, he looked at the plan and says, we need to really capture the nutrition side. And they adapted the facility plan and added more nutrition to that group. And even talking to the players, that was a main focus in the off season, getting nutrition settled, helping these guys change their mindset about recovery, changing how they think of the process, being consistent, strain a little bit harder on certain things. That's something that UVA struggled last year. If you watched them play, they didn't play for all four quarters. So straining and continuing. So that's what he's doing on the football side of things. And when you look at this game and you look at Virginia's schedule in entirety, the second half of the season is rough. Yes, they'll be home for a lot of it. But when you face Miami, North Carolina, Pitt, and Coastal Carolina and then end, this, end the schedule at, at Virginia Tech, that's a harsh second half of the season. 
So when you look, I hate to say it's make or break. Yeah. I really hate saying that. And it's one of the worst cliches in sports. But when you look at this schedule, if they lose any of these first games, it, it kind of puts a, a ticking clock on the rest of the season. At Illinois is a big game to kind of show you the trajectory of this program and also trajectory of how this season's going to look because after this, they'll be home to Old Dominion, who happened just to beat in-state rival Virginia Tech a few weeks uh, last week. And then they face um, at Syracuse for a Friday night game, which they face their old offensive coordinator and old quarterbacks coach. So that's going to be a big ACC rival game. Then they go at Duke and they have Louisville at home. That, that is a good schedule to start with, but if you stumble, that second half looks more daunting. Jackie Franchuli, check out all her great work. Get to know Virginia a little bit more over there. Wahoo's 24-7. Jackie, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the game. See you at the game. Thank you so much. All right, let's get the Illinois side of things. Let's kind of recap this team through two weeks. Of course, one solid victory, one gut-wrenching loss that Joey Wagner and I broke down. But, Joe, you kind of reset, you watch the film, you see a lot of good things, and then you see a lot of bad things as well. So I figure we take the time right now. Like, let's reset. Let's talk about why there's reasons for optimism about this team and then also why there's reasons for real concern because you're 1-1 one one when you want to be 2-0. and oh. So I'll, I'll present you the floor right away. Your, your number one reason for optimism for Illinois football right now. Chase Brown. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the guy is – Jeremy, you have been beating this drum since really you saw him arrive in 19 at Illinois. But you're seeing a little more buzz about Chase Brown over the course of the first two weeks. And it's a it's kind of about time. I mean, he, he's a really good back, and he needs to be in the conversation with those game-changing backs uh, in the Big Ten. And in recent – I don't know, maybe that's hyperbole, but in recent Illinois football history, I, I mean, the, the – she has really been – I think I saw Chris Hummer tweeted out like 42 or 40.2% of Illinois' total yards belong to Chase Brown. Yeah, dude, that's not like normal. That's a lot. And I, I, you need a reason for optimism. It's him, and that's not even bringing up Isaiah Williams, who's yeah. also had a really good start. I, I know there's some red zone issues, and I know there's things that you kind of raise your eyebrows at. But, man, those two – Chase specifically can clean up some mistakes on a growing offensive line. Yeah, let's start with Chase um, because right now he's leading the country in yards, and, and that's through two games. A lot of backs don't have two games, but it's 350 yards. He's number one in the country. Uh, he's number two in the country in yards per game. So even if you just do it per game, I know it's a small sample size, he's averaging 175 yards per game. Um, that that's ridiculous. No matter what opponent you're playing, we know Indiana's not a great run defense. We know Wyoming's not a great team, but that's still impressive, and that's coming off of a great season last year, in which we've talked about Joey. Really, most of that yardage and carries came in eight games, uh, and, and during the last nine games, Chase Brown has more than 1,200 rushing yards. So this is not new, and I think one of the most impressive stats, because you kind of mentioned it there, is how much he kind of he can overcome O-line mistakes. He can overcome blocking mistakes. Not to say the O-line is never good or, you know, the tight ends have been particularly good blocking. I think that we'll get to the tackles here in a moment. But 223 of his rushing yards, according to Pro Football Focus, are after contact. Right? That, that's four yards per carry that he's getting after contact. That's, that's a ridiculous number. Last year, it was 4.14. 
He had 700 yards after contact last year of his 1,005 that he got. So it's not only he has the acceleration and burst and he can win one-on-one battles, Joey. It's the ability to break through those arm tackles, those kind of half blocks that the defender gets his arm on him. Um, He doesn't go down easily. And he is proving himself, as you said, to be one of the best backs in recent Illinois history. I think you can put him up there. I don't know if he's past these guys, but he's in the conversation with guys like Mikel Ashore and, and Richard Menhall. Now, those guys were physically bigger, so they're probably going to be better NFL prospects. But Chase Brown is putting himself as a college running back in that category. And I think he's going to be, if he stays healthy, man, it's going to be the best season since Mikel Ashore. Mm-hmm put up the single season rushing record. Like those are the kind of numbers he's putting up. So the fact that you have that guy who can produce even when other parts of the offense are struggling or the defenses are focused on him is really impressive. Now, do I expect him to go for 175 against Wisconsin and Iowa? Probably not, right? But he's got a capability of of going for 100 against any team. Like the expectation is Chase Brown runs for 100 yards. That's an unbelievably great thing to have. (laughs) <laughs> is it uh, that's pretty good man and like it's and remember last season i know we talked about this on a previous pod but he faced stacked boxes and he he put up a thousand yards and i think over the course of the season you will see less stacked boxes i, I know indiana really sold out to stop chase brown on uh friday friday night seems weird to say doesn't it on friday night but the, I think the passing game's got another step to take, which means so does Chase Brown when, when he's not seeing everybody in the box. No, I, I'm with you. I don't think Iowa, Wisconsin, you're going to see those gaudy numbers. But, Jeremy, the next two games, yep. the Virginia run defense that allowed Richmond to kind of get where they needed to go on the ground and Chattanooga, that might be like center of gaudy numbers universe for this guy. Uh, when we did our all Big Ten draft, didn't Piper take him number one, Chase Brown? Like that that that's looking like a yeah. very, very good decision because the floor was so high, right? He's been an all Big Ten third team guy. But like right now, he's set the baseline of, of an all Big Ten first team season, right? Like can can other backs get enough carries uh to do what he's gonna do? I mean, I don't expect him to get thirty six off more often, but he's gonna get twenty twenty five every game and and not a lot of other big 10 backs are going to do that and he obviously makes the most of them you mentioned kind of part of the other positive and, and i know it comes with some caveats here that it can, needs to be better and can be better but tommy devito and barry loney jr have really improved this passing game I, I we'll get to the receiver side of this joy but i know it's a small sample size i know you played a bad wyoming team i know indiana's defense isn't great but Illinois is averaging 20 224 passing yards per game to 237 rushing yards. That's what you need. I know they do it in a dink and dunk way right now. They need to be better down the field. But DeVito, part it's partly because of the offense and the short passes, but 67 completion rate is way better than what the 50 they were hovering around last year. 131 passer rating right now compared to last year there at 108. Um, they're moving the ball through the air. Now, it's shovel passes, it's screen passes, but they're finding a way to make plays without having to give the ball to Chase Brown. They need to do a better job in the red zone, but they are moving the ball down the field through the pass game far better. So defenses at least have to plan for that. Yeah, I think, like, again, you can look at any quarterback in the country. You can look at Tommy DeVito's in that mix in the Indiana game and say, boy, you know what? He'd like to have that one back. Like that. Dude, that's what college quarterbacks do, is they make throws that you would like to have them back. But 
And, you know, maybe there's some, I don't even know if there's frustration with, with the first two. I think the first two games of Tommy DeVito have gone about as well as you could possibly hope. They would have gone, to your point, I think more vertical stretching the field is something Illinois needs to get to. I don't know if that's a factor of Tommy DeVito. I don't think it is. I think it's a factor of who's going to be on the other side of the catch and who can make those plays downfield. But, I mean, dude, he he's, he and Barry Lunny have made this at least a, a formidable, I guess formidable is the right word, passing game. The the Iowa game is not walking through that door in Iowa City where you couldn't get 100 yards. I know Charlotte, yeah. I think, that was probably different because I mean, Chase was doing Chase things and you probably just want to give him the ball. Like those days of under a hundred passing a, a yards, a hundred yards like that. Come on, man. Remember we were setting the like, over I, under for passing yards. Not, last a, year. not a hot take. Those, those days are probably over. I don't yeah. think that's the hottest take I've ever thrown out there. Last year when we were doing over unders for these games, we were setting passing yards at like 74.5, 79.5 like that. That's done. If it was like one twenty four point five. It was like a pretty good day. And, and how are they doing it? It's not stuff like that is revolutionary it's shovel passes screen passes to isaiah williams get him in space it's a quick hitch get the ball out quickly to, to brian hightower and that's another part i'll talk about here i think is a positive the wide receivers are better like they are better than last year and i think isaiah williams taking a step forward um as a wide out and he's got to get better with the drops but and, and all of these guys do but you're seeing them play make more. Like Isaiah makes plays that other people on this team outside of Chase Brown just can't make. So he has become that secondary playmaker to Chase Brown that Illinois so sorely needs. And then Brian Hightower just being able to get a seven-yard catch for you. Like, like, yes, you can go up and maybe win some down the field. He won one in Indiana. It didn't count. But he can start to do that. Pat Bryant, I think, is the best deep threat they have. He needs to be more consistent with it, but he does have enough athleticism, size, physicality to be that guy. But you're seeing him. I mean, he passed up Casey Washington, right? And Casey's a solid receiver. And I kept saying like, he's a solid guy. I think I'd love to have him as your three, four guy. He's now that guy instead of being your number two. Um, so I think it's it's positive to see that Pat Bryant, Brian Hightower have emerged. Isaiah Williams has. Now it's about consistency for those guys. Um, I'll get into it with the concerns because remember we're focusing on the positives here, but the wide receivers and quarterbacks, the passing game is better. Um, it needs to continue to get better. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the shovel passes because every time Barry Lunny calls a shovel pass for Isaiah Williams and Angel gets its wings. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the easiest easiest way to get the ball into the guy's hands and let him go do things that other people can't do. It's it just it makes me happy to see because it's so simple. And whenever you have that motion now, because he gets it, he gets a first down on it, they pay attention to him rather than maybe two who could get the ball or Tommy could keep it or pass it to somebody on an RPO or whatever. It just gives you another threat when you have that. Um, I want to get to another one. I think the offensive tackles, Joey, are pretty good. Alex Bocheski looks like a different player than last year. Devastating run blocker. Um Julian Pearl, we've only seen him one game, but he was really good. And I think we both think, and Illinois thinks, he's an NFL prospect. And I think Isaiah Adams has come in and, and been everything they could hope for. Uh, he looks like he was one of the top Juco offensive tackles in the country. But some of these guys, like Zy Chrysler, is going through a little bit of a you know learning curve here. Isaiah Adams got dropped in. It's like you just cloned Vidarian Lowe, uh, put him at left guard for a game, then he moved to left tackle and, and looked 
basically flawless until that final drive. So uh, they got three guys that I feel comfortable playing tackle and starting at tackle in the Big Ten, which uh, certainly was a concern uh, back in December. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you on the tackle. I would also just say the left side of the line, uh, when healthy, with Julian Pearl and Isaiah Adams, I think there's a pretty firm belief inside the building that those are two NFL draft picks. Uh, and, and I know, like, it's the second game uh, of Pearl at left tackle and Isaiah Adams uh, in the Big Ten, but, like, they're, they're really high on them. And remember, Jeremy, when they got Isaiah Adams, they thought he was going to be a tackle. Yeah, Alex Palczewski was off to the NFL draft. Uh, I think you probably would have kept Julian Pearl at right tackle, uh, brought Isaiah Adams in for left tackle. So, that, I mean, it says a little bit about him, too, to be able to slide in and play guard at a level that he's playing and then to slide out and play tackle again after Julian Pearl on a Thursday. And it didn't register with me, Jeremy, until today. Like, Brett Bielema said Julian Pearl went down on a Thursday, and I, in my mind, I was still in normal week. Like, oh, okay, well, you got Friday to figure it out. Well, you, you kind of don't. Like, it didn't hit me that it was the day before the game that he went down with – it looked – we saw him in a walking boot, I'd guess an ankle – uh, deal. I, I would probably only think he'll be back for the Virginia game. But man, that left side of the line went healthy of Pearl and Adams. That's really, really good. And then you got a 759 career starts of right tackle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dude, this you, now to your point and the concern, I'm sure this will be for our next segment here. You got to figure out a little more chemistry, a little more communication between center and right guard. But man, those other three positions have really hit the ground running. Yeah, let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think we knew Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph would be pretty good. Um, I, I think Newton's been even better than we expected, especially after that all-timer at, at Indiana. But I think Keith Randolph maybe doesn't show up in the stats, but his disruptions, um, if, if you watch the film, you watch what happens defensively. Like There's a reason Indiana didn't get many yards on the ground. Keith Randolph was one of the big ones. Um but Calvin Avery's emergence, like sometimes you hear this training camp, you know, uh, hoopla, uh, who's the, everybody's going to be good, right? Like everybody's going to step up and do their job. Calvin, a lot Avery, of NFL draft picks yeah. in training camp, huh? Yeah, Calvin Avery has, has backed that up, um, and they were they were more hesitant about you know building him up too much, and even after one game, they didn't want to say, "Oh, Calvin Avery has arrived." They said he's got to do it consistently. He played well against Indiana after what I thought was his best game against Wyoming, so. Your starting defensive line looks pretty good. And to be honest with you, against at least Indiana, Jamal Woods was good. Bryce Barnes was good. Um, T-Rot Edwards was good. So the defensive line, I think we knew the two guys would be good. I, I think the depth, especially with Calvin Avery, has played a little bit better to this point. I think you got way bigger tests coming up, especially against the run when you play Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota in that three-game stretch. Uh, but so far, so good for that defensive line. I agree. And, and it's exactly what we thought, Jeremy. We thought the starting group of that was going to be good. We had questions about nose tackle. I, I still think you maybe it's fair to still have some. You want to see I mean, two games isn't enough to alleviate every concern we've ever had about that position. But I think it's, it's played out how we thought it was going to. And it's, I feel like maybe a little bit of Johnny Newton's game, because it was such a brutal loss, has gotten overlooked from Friday night. And the stats don't exactly like re the just the box score stats, I should say, don't reinforce just this insanely disruptive and good game. Dude, he was awesome. Like that guy made himself money on Friday night in Bloomington. 
Absolutely. Um, okay, next spot uh, we will go to is the secondary because they have three really good players. And not that it's unexpected, but to see that come to fruition yet again with Devin Witherspoon, Sidney Brown, I thought was great against Indiana. Uh, and certainly Quan Martin was maybe the best player in the field against Wyoming and, and had another good game uh, against Indiana. And and the thing I love about those guys, um, and this is kudos to Aaron Henry, it's kudos to Ryan Walters, is the physicality they play with is a tone setter. It really is a tone setter. I mean, what you saw at the beginning of that Indiana game um, with Devin Witherspoon, decluding somebody with what looks like a fumble. Um, now, as we look back on that play, uh, but then Sidney Brown as well, um, you know, the next play that uh, makes a great read and, and tackle for loss and decleats another guy. So I, I think that's a tone setter. And, and despite a, rough first half on some big plays joey at the end of the day indiana had 6.3 yards per pass attempt they threw the ball 52 times they're gonna have some yards um so i I think you take that a lot of games um but they just had a couple big plays that that really hurt you and we'll get into that here uh but those three players give you a a really high floor in that secondary and they're all part of a secondary that was was great last year so we thought it'd be a strength it is a strength yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, Devin Witherspoon play because Brett Bielema didn't come out and say, hey, that was also a fumble, uh, but he didn't not say it either. <laughs> I think, like, if you listen to him, I left with the vibe, and, and I don't think I'm wrong. That was a very similar play to the Chase Brown uh, fumble later, and I, I just think it felt to me like Brett wanted to get that point out there. Uh, th- there were some defensive breakdowns and, and things that, You'd have to see cleanup. I thought Ryan Walters' point, and thinking back to the game, the tempo on third and 16 when he was trying to basically sub packages, like he, he took ownership for that. It was 40 yards, and that hurt him. But I like that was an interesting point. So uh, Connor Bates like had 330 passing yards just off the top of my mind. The two huge ones, 52 and 40. That's 100. I'm not very good at math, Jeremy, but that's, I, I believe, that is 112. Well, and then you had 67 on the final drive, right? Which was uh, really a breakdown, and we'll get into that yeah. later on here. But, yeah, I mean, throughout so most of the game. 169, 169 or 330 came on one drive and two plays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, right. that's pretty. That's a pretty solid performance. Now, again, and we'll get into the, There are some areas they need to clean up, like broken coverage has hurt you. But those three guys back there, again, this was kind of – obvious by listening by watching by understanding who returned that those three guys were going to anchor the defensive secondary i think Cas nicholson's played okay uh, it seems like he's battling some sort of soft tissue which i know you mentioned before just to rehash is kind of a catch-all for anything that isn't broken or torn uh and is, is at least that's how i perceive it when brett bielema speaks so yeah i think that has been a positive and, and look also watch what look at wyoming stats on uh, their second game it was better than five completions for 30 yards i mean like yeah. it's a it's an impressive secondary but there, there are some growing pains at certain positions well jay layman said it. he thinks there might be five guys uh nfl guys draft picks on the defense three of them in the secondary two on the defensive line so um that's that's a good start that's a good start at least for illinois the uh, the last positive i have here joey big 10 west just isn't that good you're, you're gonna have a lot of games you have an opportunity to win the game just like last year it's finding a way to close them out but I, I don't think any of us are impressed by Iowa. Um, but offensively, that's if you can score 17, 20 points, you're going to have a chance to win that game. 
And uh, Illinois did that last year, of course. Special teams error hurt them there. I'm not saying Illinois is going to win that game now, but it is a winnable game. Minnesota, you beat last year. I think Minnesota is good. Uh, I, I think they're pretty good, but uh, they're not world beaters. Nebraska, beat them. You beat them again, right? Like, I just... I'm not impressed by them. They got some good athletes. Uh, but coaching-wise, I think Illinois has, has a way better staff. Purdue, I think you match up well. I was wondering how you are going to sneak that in there. Yeah, Purdue Jeremy uh, versus Scott Frost. It's just bad. It's just bad coaching. Uh, Purdue, I think you match up well. I think it showed last year. You know, slow down Charlie Jones. I think he got a chance because the rest of that roster is – you know, besides that passing and that makes him so different in the Big Ten West, I'm not like Northwestern, Pat Fitzgerald, pretty well, you know, usually a good coach, right? Um, and they got some strength in the trenches, but that's not a team that, that terrifies me either, even though they, they should be better. So I always think the Big Ten West is going to give you opportunities. Michigan State, we'll see how good they are. They're certainly talented. Uh, but you're going to have you're going to have a lot of close games, Joey. It's, it's just about finding a way to close them out. Yeah, I think there's a reason Brett Bielema and Josh Whitman aren't exactly racing to the end to race divisions oh. in the Big Ten. Big Ten West is it's a pretty attractive look for a program trying to steal a couple uh, a couple wins early in a rebuild. But yeah, man, I, I'm with you. Like the schedule, it gets harder. I mean, this was a stretch you would have liked to see Illinois really gas, hit the gas. And, and there's still, we'll see what happens on Friday. I think we're all kind of penciling in Chattanooga if that's a loss, there's probably more alarms to sound than, yeah. uh, than a bowl game slipping away. I don't see this but team I, losing that game. Pro- I, I, don't, I don't go into that game concerned. No. Like, I, I think I've gotten over that. Um, Wyoming, I think, was just another reason, like another data point to say, I don't think you got to worry about that with Chase Brown, with a new offense that just uses its playmakers, and, and a great defense. Like, I think this defense could be really good yet again. I just think this coaching staff has gotten them over that hurdle. Obviously, the hurdle we haven't seen is win the games you should win, like at the end of games. Like, you have to be able to close those out. Yeah. So, again, the West opponents are – you like your chances. I don't know that you're going to win. I don't know how many of those you're going to win. I don't want to say you're not going to win a lot or a little. I, I don't know. But I don't think you go into those feeling like maybe maybe Wisconsin's Wisconsin. going to be a tough one. That's the one. Wisconsin's going to be a tough one. Like that's a really tough one. And again, your crossover games, you needed to take advantage Friday. You didn't do that yep. against Indiana. You ditched Penn State. You got Indiana. That's and Michigan's gonna be that's that's tough, dude. That is just that is a tall order to go into the big house and beat this Michigan yep. team right now. Michigan State, I don't know. But like as long as you got the West, you, it feels like chances are there. Yeah. All right, let's get into the concerns, because there are plenty after you lose a game like you just did. Outside of beating them themselves, right? Like, they have to figure that out. I think we all understand that. One of my big questions is, can this team stretch the field vertically? Can they do it? They tried against Indiana. They got one big play down the field. They got one big play down the field to Wyoming. I understand you didn't have to do it against Wyoming, but it's still a question mark. And I know you said, like, yeah, the receiver's got to catch the ball. Um, Tommy DeVito also has to put it where the receivers can get it. And I... I know Isaiah Williams mistimed that jump down the field. That ball's got to be better. Um, the the ball to Tip Ryman that was thrown behind him. Now Tip didn't see the one in week one, but that's got to be a better ball. That was that was open. I uh, got to give your guy a chance. 
That said, both both sides of the connection have to be better. Uh, I broke down the stats here, Joey. I'll, I'll get to it here in a second, but um, they've been really good on these underneath routes and, and very efficient uh, in doing that, but they have to find a way uh, to convert once you get down the field. And it's not all the time because your, your efficiency, what, uh, completion rate is going to go down. But on passes of 10 yards or fewer, they're 42 of 50 for 313 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's really good, right? Now, you're going to complete those passes, but the yards per attempt is pretty good given the, the distance. On throws of longer than 10 yards, 6 of 17, 113 yards, one touchdown, interception. You need to complete three or four more of those, right? Like if you complete three or four more of those, if you complete one or two more of those at Indiana, it's a completely different game. I mean, yeah, it's that first drive. Uh, him and Isaiah Williams, Tommy DeVito and Isaiah Williams were that close to that big play down the sideline. Isaiah Williams isn't the biggest guy in the world. Like that, that's got to those passes to him, deep passes. They got to kind of fall in a bucket. Yeah, just because yeah. there's not a lot of radius there. Yeah, I don't put that on Who's Tommy. Be... I don't put that on Tommy because no. because right here, here's the here's the issue. Sorry to interrupt, but like the no. issue is your fast guy is small. He's got a small catch radius, so you have to drop it into a bucket. But the problem is. Your big guys aren't the fastest. I think Pat Bryan has the best combination of that, um, of the guys you play. But Casey Washington probably isn't beating people over the top. Brian Hightower, he's going to have to be a go-up-and-get-it guy like Bebe. I think he can do those things. We saw it against Indiana, but it's just the margin for error isn't quite as big as a guy who can just run down the field like Deuce Span and get behind a defense. Do you have that guy? And Is Ashton Hollins or Ian Pugh ready? Probably not, right? Like Those guys are are really raw. I don't know. I just don't know if you have the the piece that you need to stretch the field vertically as often as you need. Yeah. And that doesn't change. Right. I mean, you can't, I don't think you can accelerate putting Ashton Hollins or Ian Pugh out there. Those guys came in with the, I think there was probably the understanding that that was going to be the, some long-term, you know, get them in the weight room type of deal. I don't know. That's where you would have liked to see them get in the portal and get a guy who can do that or not lose a guy who can do that, who's now at Florida State and do spam. Yeah, because Jonah so Morris and Cody Case are not those guys. They are not. And that, I think, Jeremy, that's where the concern is. That's not an underperforming type of deal. That's a, right now that player is not ready to play on this roster. It's like that. Or you couldn't draw you that gotta player work, to You got a game roster. around that. Yeah, you couldn't yeah. entice that player to come to your roster because they're like, why would I want to go play for that passing game? Which is why this year is so important for Barry Lunny to show improvement there. Yeah, we'll see, man. But I think that's the concern that you've got a game around because I don't think there's an answer between now and Northwestern yeah. when the season, the regular season ends that you're going to be able to solve that. I think it's a lot of pressure on Tommy DeVito to be accurate on those. Um, and is that fair? I don't know. But like that's, that's what it's going to call for here. All right, the interior offensive line. Uh, I think Isaiah Adams has been pretty good at left guard, as you said, in that first game. I thought Jordan Slaughter came in and stabilized things a little bit um, in the last two weeks. But we had questions about Alex Pilstrom. Listen, it's a great story being able to do what he, he's doing, but to rely on him as a Big Ten center, could you do it? And, and through two weeks, I think we've seen some good things, but some inconsistency. And I think most of it is – I think most of it isn't as much one-on-one battles with Pilstrom. It's more the communication errors that are happening between him and Zy Chrysler mostly. Uh, but Zy Chrysler is kind of a raw guy. They've said that. I think they expected some ups and downs and some growing pains with him. But on the on the fourth and one play, they might have had a chance if between the center and guard, 
there wasn't a defensive lineman that got penetration, right? Like maybe Chase Brown would have had a chance, even if it's not the best play call, but that was a miscommunication. We've seen a lot of miscommunications otherwise and just some uh, breakdowns, some missed assignments, Joey. So that has to improve. And, and that's, that's a position you wonder, um, do they make a change at some point or, or do they continue with this and, and know that there's going to be some growing pains early and you'll start to see a turnaround coming up soon. That'll, that'll be interesting. To see. I think it will. And, and I think I, I agree with you. I think that they probably expected Zy Chrysler to, he look, he was raw coming out uh, raw to a degree coming out of junior college. He wasn't Isaiah Adams level of, of ready to drop in there and play. But I think their hope is there's a long-term payoff and, and you could probably grow out of some of the short-term issues, if that makes sense. And so I, th- that's really interesting, Jeremy. And Alex Pilstrom, look, they put a lot on centers. Like Bart Miller will tell will tell you that he said that several times between spring ball and now. Like th- there's a big expectation on centers, and you didn't have to think about it because you had Doug Kramer, who started a lot of games last year, and, and he wore a lot. And he had that that about him where he he was a a, i mean when doug kramer spoke dude you you and i know we covered this team long enough a lot of people knew everybody knew when doug kramer had something to say and i think there's just a lot of that those intangible things with him uh but and alex pilstrom said he's like look i see it i I see it all happening then you put in a tempo offense and, and there's just a lot to try to communicate it's not that he's not seeing what needs to be done or the calls that need to be made i think and the way he described it is he's just trying to articulate that concisely, loud, like all of that together. And Ben Bart Miller said, he's like, we, you know, we're continuing to empower him to push him and, and keep that confidence up and to keep him, you know, with the voice. But it's, there's been a kind of a rough couple of weeks at times for him. There were, I thought uh, Indiana was much better than Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, now when it wasn't much better, it hurt down at the goal line right yeah. like when it, that, that's when those fall aparts hurt a little bit yeah and most of their yards are coming off tackle like most of their yards are, are coming on stretch runs because the tight ends are pretty good blockers and the tackles as we said are, are pretty good blockers at some point when you get to the goal line you gotta be able to count on those guys and you know i know two people talked about would you put tommy devito under center do you feel like you can get a push right like uh, he's not a huge guy to, to sneak it like brandon peters anyway but uh can you get a push like that that's that's still a question mark because while they're bigger up front um they're just not as reliable at this point now that could change of course as the season goes along at this point last year the interior of the offensive line was not very good right and then jack bedovinek kind of figured it out and uh they ended up being a lot better towards the end of the season so It'll be interesting to see, though, if, if Pilstrom and Chrysler continue to struggle, does Slaughter get the spot at right guard? Do they put him in there um, just to just try and win some games here, right? And then, you know, Josh Kruitz is, is way smaller than Pilstrom, but I know it sounds like, Joey, he's he's starting to shine a little bit um, or at least improve a lot more because they didn't think he was ready. They were thinking about getting a transfer um, because they didn't think Josh Kruitz would be ready coming into this year. Um, they didn't do that because of Pilstrom's emergence. But it sounds like Josh Kruitz could be an option at some point this season. I'll be interested to see how they use him because it sounds like he's getting maybe a little more physical. You know, he's starting to maybe find himself. I guess I don't know. Say more physical is probably not the right uh, term to use there, but maybe finding himself a little bit at center. So it's interesting. And Bart Miller brought him up twice during an interview today, and I, you know, maybe it was nothing, but it, it may have also been something because. Yeah. 
you brought up the backup center twice. I, I, I joke, Jeremy. Jordan Anderson at fullback, Tommy DeVito under center, Hunter the Van Whiteneck, <laughs> halfback, and just just knock Tommy DeVito through the end zone. Yeah. Where do I go? If he does that and a Chrysler town and country doesn't give him an NIL deal, I'm going to be irate. At the same time, you still need the center and guards to block. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's going to take a while for, for Hunter Whitenack to get through that, that line of scrimmage there. Uh, all right, next concern. Uh, I thought this defense got a lot of pressure last week against Indiana. One sack. Th- those plays, like, hey, I think pressures are important. They, they force incompletions, right? They, they can screw up plays. But a sack, right, the reason we care so much about those is because you lose yards, you get way behind the sticks, the clock keeps running, right? Like one sack, one more sack could have been the difference if they just got to the quarterback. And Ryan Walters, I thought, had a great pressure package, and that's why Basilak was under pressure. I mean, 20 pressures in a game is a lot, but they only had one sack. So I think you got to find a way to get the quarterback to the ground more often and then get more big plays out of that second level the outside linebackers and linebackers just not a lot of big plays it's always the defensive line guys the defensive backs you gotta find whether it's cj hart or dark angelo or seth coleman and ezekiel holmes only have what i think it's three pressures this entire season and 100 and something snaps like those guys need to get to the quarterback make more big plays yeah especially on the edges that's where i i look at this and we heard, you know, hey, we feel like we're a deeper team and we lack that proven talent. Well, I don't know, because you're not getting pressure from the outside. And that, that to me, it's the most concerning part of that. I don't know, Jim, what do you want to call them? Front, the front five, front six. I mean, they're not defensive linemen. They're not, I mean, whatever. You, you need to see that. And I thought it was really telling that Gabe Ackes had a lot of those late game third down pin your ears back and go situations and Alec Bryant those two both and, come in on third downs right now yeah and I, I think that's something to monitor going into the Virginia game is what does that look like because dude you got to put pressure on Brennan Armstrong you got you got with the offensive line kind of a retooled line you got to get some pressure on that dude that's the same dude who put up 405 and five touchdowns on you last year and you, you got to get after him. So I, that's that to me is that biggest concern in that level. I know we talked about the line, the inside linebackers post game, uh, like one a.m. from Bloomington, yeah. Jeremy. But I I think there's also some. You, you, we haven't seen the Nebraska C.J. Hart to this point yet. Uh, Tariq Barnes, I still feel like is pretty steady. Yeah, I thought he had but, a fine game he, against Indiana. He made some he made some nice plays on the edge there. Yeah, I think he's he's fine. Dark Angel was fine, but it's like, hey, you need a big play. And I think they would say that. We we need to, whether it's a forced fumble, whether it's, you know, an, an interception in the middle of the field or something like that. Like, you just need one, one or two of those big plays. But I think most of the edge guys, right? Like, yeah, they had some nice stops against Wyoming, but you're, you're just not seeing those flash plays. Like, so I don't want to overlook the solid play that helps you keep Indiana at 32 rushing yards. The edges and linebackers are certainly a part of that. But it's just those big plays that change a game. Um, the defense has been strong, but if you want to be great, you need more from those guys. All right, the other part, I think, of the defense, we wondered about the other cornerback spot. We were worried about, wondered about the free safety spot. Kendall Smith, Taz Nicholson. I don't think those guys have been bad. I think Taz has been fine, but teams attack him. Kendall Smith got beat twice in the first half, and Jay Layman and I broke that down in the film. 
I have any bounce back, I thought, in the second half. I think they've both been really good against the run. But those weak spots in the secondary, or weaker spots in the secondary, teams are going to test those, right? Because they know the other three guys are, are really, really good. And I think you saw depth become an issue, and that's going to be a big one here at the end for me, is depth overall. But you saw depth become an issue when Taz Nicholson couldn't play, and Tyler Strange struggled, and Terrell Jennings struggled. Um, so the depth in the secondary, the weak spots in there can overcome what are your strong spots elsewhere. Yeah, and I think you probably want to see continued growth from some of those secondary spots. I thought the the depth behind Taz Nicholson, especially early in that final drive, that was concerning, Jeremy. Like, that was – you saw some misplays from Tyler Strange from Terrell Jennings. Like, that is – as much as we propped up and, and were, I think, reasonably excited – about the play of Sidney Brown, Quan Martin, and Devin Witherspoon, you've got to look at the exact same two spots you wondered going into the Wyoming game, going into fall camp. What does that look like? I don't know, and I'm with you. I don't know that it's been, you know, you throw your hands up and say, well, they're screwed. Yeah, I don't think that, that's not fair. I, I just think that I don't think my questions have been answered about those Correct. two spots to this point. Yeah, and every defense is going to have and that's what we came kind of came into this year knowing those three spots are going to be pretty good. Can you get solid play out of those other guys? And not that I don't think they're getting solid play or satisfactory or okay play, but can you get better than that to make it a great defense, right? Um, that's a question because Tony Adams is in the NFL. Kirby Joseph is in the NFL. You never thought you were going to replace those guys with the same kind of production. You just can't have a huge drop-off. And there have been moments where Illinois has struggled at those two positions. Special teams inconsistency has to be another one, right? Uh, Caleb Griffin, bad first game, good second game. I know Brett Beal would talk about kickoffs, but just field goal kicking. Kickoffs have been pretty good. Uh, Hugh Robinson, good first game, terrible second game, right? Um, and then the return game's been a little bit better, more interesting, but you're giving up some yards also when you don't get the return to the 25-yard line. So I just think the consistency of the special teams, something we expected, but it's played out that way, Joey, uh, that special teams wouldn't be as strong when you lose Blake Hayes and James McCourt. Yeah, you lost really good players at those positions. The kick return still is so interesting to me because I thought the first week it was like, oh my gosh, what is holy crap, they can they're not just waving, they're returning. I ha I'd have to go back and look, so I don't want to say this with as much I mean, maybe you have the, the answer. Cody Case returned not uh Cody Case, I'm sorry, Peyton Binding returned one against Indiana. It did not get to the 25. I don't recall it being that close to the 25, relatively speaking. And I don't remember how many more. Were, there were none. Yeah, no. that, that was kind of, to me, that was like, yeah, this plan ain't in against this kickoff unit. Wave this thing and go to 25. And, and Brett Bielma said, you know, that, that's kind of the give and take. In, in the pre preseason, Brett had, I'm paraphrasing, but like, do you get a free spot at the 25? Like, you've got to really feel good he did have about doing something. He did have two returns. I forgot there was the squib that he picked up and, and took for like oh, yeah. nine yards or whatever it was. So that hurt. He's got one great return, three not so great returns, right? Yeah. So it's it, I'm just I'm interested with what that looks like moving forward. And Hugh Robertson, that was a tough, tough that was a tough go of it, man. That was a tough go of it in Bloomington on those first two punts. I think they combined for less than fifty yards, if I'm not 35. mistaken. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's, 12-yard punts. And Indiana, Indiana, I think, got six points out of those two. I know they got no, a field the goal. Punt was a, 
the shank punt the next play was a the the fourth no that was touchdown. that was the that was the Luke Ford turnover right oh boy the, yeah, yeah there was a, there was a lot of over. swings there but they definitely a lot, got a, field a, lot goal. Of, a lot of swings yeah they definitely got a field goal off of one of them my biggest concern remains the concern I had in the offseason and that's depth right I, I think we see it at running back you know Chase Brown when he goes off the field now without Josh McCray there, there's a drop-off. Like there's, a, there's a clear drop-off. And not that Reggie Love is not capable uh, or, or Chase Hayden's not capable, but I think Reggie Love is, is talented, but he's just not the running back that Chase Brown is. I think, you know, we see it with the DBs late in that game that when those guys were off, it's it's a drop-off. Like the defensive line's been a little bit better than I expected, but if not Johnny Newton or Keith Randolph got hurt, that's a huge concern. And let's talk about Johnny Newton, as good as he was – 76 of 80 snaps he had to play they couldn't take him off the field and that showed up late there was one pass rush he just had no gas left in him um, if DeVito gets hurt if Chase Brown got hurt if Isaiah Williams got hurt I know a lot of teams would have this with their top playmakers but for Illinois especially they, they can't afford many key injuries no, I thought the most interesting thing Brett Bielema said post game and I don't want to say he walked it back on Monday but it did not have the same conviction, I didn't feel like, as it did on Friday night. I always said we're paper thin at certain positions. So to your point, one, Jeremy, I think you and I have deducted that to mean injuries, rotating guys like Johnny Newton in and out of there. But I'm also assuming, and Brent Bielema didn't say this, but I'm also assuming it to mean, oh, what if someone isn't playing to the standard? Like, Do you feel like you have a viable option behind that person? to go out there and make plays. And that's kind of what I took away. I don't know if that's what Brett Bielema meant, but that, to me that was the word paper thin at certain positions was the first time he said that, that I recall, um, or, or maybe at least in such plain terms. Yes. But I, I Since that, that whole Penn, pre-Penn State ordeal with the offensive line, he's been very careful uh, about that, right? Because he doesn't want his words twisted. But we Which is see. exactly why he's not going to come out and say, we're paper thin at X, Y, and Z. That's for us to deduct. He ain't saying that. But we know where it is, right? Right. Like, like the offensive right. line, they still don't have depth. The defensive line, it's been better than we expected, but they still don't have depth. Um, do they have as much linebacker depth as they talk about? I don't know. Um, outside linebacker, maybe they have depth now, but they still need playmakers. Uh, and in the secondary, uh, they, they don't have a lot of depth, even if Matthew Bailey's been a surprise. It's a little concerned that he's second string, right? <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a little yeah. concerned that, that Terrell Jennings, who was playing D2 last year, is your, is your number three corner. Yeah, and I get, like, Matthew Bailey. That's a fun story, fun surprise. <laughs> Illinois just maybe needs that break to have that surprise come in a position that Sidney Brown had been in front yeah. of him. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, like, I... I get, like, I'm sure there is a lot of excitement about Matthew Bay. I don't think any of that was manufactured. It's just like, how does that translate from fall camp to now? Well, it doesn't. And if it does, uh oh, that means your your star's not back. It's like, it's just, it's how it is. Like, the positions they probably need depth at, you look at maybe a free safety or some of those positions you know, you know, mentioned, that's not where it is. You might have some at, some like very minuscule amounts at some position but again with Matthew Bailey we're still talking about a true freshman all right Joe before I let you go um just your thoughts uh against Virginia key to a game what what you think needs to happen for Illinois to bounce back because if they win this one man you're kind of back to where you thought you were right like I thought they'd be two and one after three games 
maybe they lost one that you didn't and you end up winning Virginia one maybe some fans didn't think but Vegas thinks you're going to win um so so just any thought you have on this Virginia game this is you know you, you send us a message to get on top of things and do our job here and I was like I don't know who to pick yeah. because I like I don't I didn't leave Bloomington like well I'll tell you this team's screwed yeah I, I didn't feel that at all I thought there was a lot that they did well I thought they got in their way but I can't shake the sight of Brennan Armstrong. I mean, just throwing that. Like, dude, they've got some dudes at wide receiver. Like, Illinois' defensive secondary is going to be strained and tested. And, like, you need those positions that we talked about to really maybe find that next level because Brennan Armstrong is going to throw this thing. So I don't know, dude. Like, I, I don't know what the pick is or what I think. I, I think you've got to play better in the secondary – and I think if there were ever a game for your pass rush to kind of wake up a little bit and go get the quarterback, especially on the edges, like now is that time. Yep. Because you could kind of flip a little bit. Two and one, like this is stupid, and it feels stupid to say, just the feeling of two and one going into Chattanooga, which probably puts you at three and one, is so different than getting out of these first four two and two and trying to have to find four big ten wins just to get a bull and a bull means a lot yep. like it, it i know it's brett beal in the second year but i think it can mean a lot on the recruiting trail 15 tracks is a whole deal uh like I'm, you got to get some pressure on armstrong i think man that's huge it's i think a- i think chase brown's gonna run jeremy yeah i think chase brown's <laughs> gonna have himself a nice day i mean richmond ran for 170 yards right and, and you know virginia's gonna be focused on him um but i think Illinois shown at least enough offensively that that they can balance things out and go to the air or Tommy DeVito with his legs when they need to. So I think it's a fascinating matchup of a what is a strength with Illinois defense, way different defense than a year ago against Virginia strength, which is a passing offense. They run the ball a hell of a lot more with Tony Elliott uh, now being kind of their offensive guy, obviously their head coach too, and Des Kitchings who Brett Bielmo raved about. Um, but yeah, that offense. They're probably gonna like Virginia's gonna probably score in the twenties, even if Ryan Walters is really good at his job. Uh, so Illinois, can can you find enough ways to finish in the red zone? Because I think you're going to be able to move the ball against Virginia. Because Chase Brown's really good. I like what Barry Oney's doing. Can you cash in? Can you not shoot yourself in the foot? I think it's going to be a really close game. Uh, you know, I, I did my predictions. I don't change my predictions, you know, the first couple weeks of the year. In the preseason, I had this as a 28-24 Virginia win. Um, now, Vegas obviously knows better than me. And they have Illinois as a four-and-a-half-point favorite right now based on what they've seen. Maybe there's some money to be had there because um, you know Illinois has really dominated most of the stats, uh, most of the pace of play, con- controlling the clock. They had to make so many mistakes in Indiana to lose that game. So maybe it's a maybe it's a value buy to, to pick Illinois here. Yeah, man. I, I think it's going to be 31-27, Jeremy. I just don't know which way. <laughs> I have no earthly idea which way that's going to go. But I think that's my final score. I'll figure the rest of it out. Staying on the line, I, I have fans. No idea. Sides there, not, not picking a winner there. I mean, I think I'm going to take Virginia because I just, like, yeah. I, this, to me, this is like a, this I've been kind of brash, like, reasoning with myself through the last few But days. I can totally see Illinois winning this game. Like, that that's when we yes. make predictions. Yes. Like, everyone wants to, like, that's all they care about in our whole preview. Where it's, I spent how many hours, <laughs> Joey, spent breaking down, like, watching film, and all they care about is that one single line of, of who you pick. These things are hard, right? But I think Illinois should have a chance to win this game. Can they do it? 
can like can, can they find a way to close the game yes. is my question. When I know Virginia has the best player on maybe the, the best quarterback on the field, right? Like Chase Brown might be the best player. But Brendan Armstrong is one of the top 15, 20 quarterbacks in the country. Probably the best quarterback they'll see all year. Sorry, Aiden O'Connell. I think that's true. Can they beat can they win that game? I think Ryan Walters will give him a chance. I think Barry Loney will have chances. Uh, I think this coaching staff's pretty good, but can they do it? They still got to prove that. That's exactly where I'm at, dude. Like, I think like if we do our post-game pod and it's like, hey, Illinois won, yeah, that makes sense to me that Illinois won. But, like, after that collapse last week, like, it was a collapse. Like, they, they, they couldn't – the score wasn't, like, some big lead that they bungled. It was just a series of many collapses that, that lost. That like, I just need to see that they can do it. I, I think that's where I come down to show me like just kind of. A and I know we saw some of those things time. last year. Like we saw some of those I things. I know, but I like know. Penn State, did they really close that one? <laughs> did they like Minnesota? The defense made the extra stop, right? Like while they didn't against Maryland or Purdue, can the offense close it? That that's that's my question because I I don't put last week on the defense whatsoever. Can the offense find a way to close out these games? That's still what we got to see. That's what I'm saying. And, and until I see that which will be after Saturday. Like, it's a prove-it game. Prove, prove that, like, those red zone mishaps were, were not fluky, but are, you've learned from those over the course of the last yeah. uh, seven days. I know they had an off day in there. So I think that's – you just got to see it. Like, this is kind of – I told you I don't like must-wins. I think that's stupid. I think it's a cheap way to get clicks when it's lame in September. But I think, like, there's a good chance to show that maybe you kind of are who you – think you are does that make sense like that you can you can cash in in critical moments at some point it's about winning the actual games right like that's what they have to do now is win the actual games all right joey wagner thank you as always man thanks man great stuff as always for joey wagner thank you to jackie franchuli as well for giving us the insight into the virginia cavaliers they call them the who's over there the wahoos uh so it'd be a fun game uh just because we're gonna get to know a little bit more about how this illinois team responds they responded pretty well to losses last year and and again i you know i know it's hard to see through a, a terrible loss like <laughs> there's no way of sugarcoating that but I do think this team is more well-rounded. I, I do think they have more answers uh, when it comes to what they can call, what they can do. Uh, offensively, they're more balanced. Defensively, they, they've looked strong. Can you find a way to win these close games? They did sometimes last year. They did in other times. They didn't in their first opportunity uh, against Indiana in a close game. I think we're going to have a lot of these toss-ups this year. And Indiana was one of them coming into the season. You lost it. Virginia's another one coming into this, coming into this week. See if you can win it, and uh, I do agree with Joey. Three and one would be a completely different feeling than two and two. Uh, not to take Chattanooga for granted, good team in their FCS conference there, uh, but Illinois needs to take care of business there, and I, ex- I expect they will. Um, so to get to three and one before that tough stretch where you're playing the Big Ten West, probably contenders Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, and Minnesota all in a row there, I think it's really important. to to find a way to win this game if you want to reach the goals you want to reach which we all know is a bowl game and the postseason all right everybody enjoy the game enjoy the weekend take care of each other have a great day and we'll talk to you next time right here on the Atlanta Inquirer podcast